You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. The shepherd became the door. Thus the illustration that Jesus is trying to explain to them. I'm the door. No sheep come in and no sheep go out. No thieves come in or robbers go out except through me. I am the door. He became the door. And this is the real image. And it's extremely important now that we understand this. It's extremely important that we understand what Jesus is saying. He is the door. Jesus made a lot of bold statements. He said things that set him apart from the crowd, from other leaders throughout history. Today, Pastor Dave takes a look at what Jesus meant when he called himself the door. You'll see that not only is Jesus the only way to eternal life, but he's also your protector and provider. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 10, as he begins his message, The Abundant Life. We are still... Going through the Gospel of John, we are going to be in chapter 10, and we're going to be reading specifically verses 7 through 10. It's been a beautiful time going through the Gospel of John, and we've been having a lot of fun with it. And things are ramping up, as we said. Things are really getting exciting. Not that the entire Gospel is not exciting, but we're not that far out of the cross. And things are getting heated up between Jesus and the Pharisees. And they continue today as we study God's word. So if you found your way to the Gospel of John, and if you found your way to chapter 10, let's begin by me reading aloud. And if you would read silently, verses 7 through 10. Verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that it may, they may have it more abundantly. So what comes to your mind when you hear the words abundant life. Now, we're not going to go around the room and ask everyone to explain what they believe the abundant life is. But when I ask that question, do you think of lavish homes? Do you think of expensive cars? Do you think of worldwide cruises or more money than you know what to do with? Now, before we get too further, please... I am not knocking owning a lavish home, nor am I knocking being wealthy or even having a nice car or taking a worldwide cruise. I'm not knocking any of that. If the Lord has provided you with that, well, praise God. Thank you for it. That's wonderful. I think that's great. But is that what Jesus is talking about here? I don't think so. I don't think that's what Jesus is speaking about in this verse. So 
if he's not talking about having lavish homes and expensive cars and all that, what does this new life look like? What is he speaking about here in John 10? Well, I think if I asked all of you, if I asked, for example, 10 Christians what the abundant life looks like, I'd have 14 different answers. Well, what does it look like? Some of them may be right in various ways, but if we're going to be true to scriptures, which is what we try to be here at Calvary Chapel, the new life given to us in Jesus Christ must mean more than material blessings. It must mean more than what we have stuff, for the lack of a better term. Now, as we begin this study, it's my prayer and it's my hope that after our study, we will discover exactly what the abundant life is and what it looks like. And then we would all want whatever the Lord would have for us. And I think it's important that we want what the Lord has for us. I think we should want all that he has for us. And we'll get to that a little later. But that's my prayer that we will see that. So Jesus is still fighting with the Pharisees. He's been fighting with them, well, since the beginning of the Gospel of John, but more so in chapter 9 and now in chapter 10. He's still having this conversation with the Pharisees, and he's still building on this analogy that we spoke about, sheep, sheepfolds, and shepherds. He's still building on this building block. He's trying to get his point across to the Pharisees, to these religious leaders, it's a parable of sorts. What he's doing is Jesus is comparing God's children to sheep. And he's comparing those that lead, care for, and teach God's children as shepherds. And he's saying, now that everything is right, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with what's going on in Israel at this time. And it's a powerful illustration it's an extremely powerful illustration, which those who were listening to it at that time should have understood it. They should have known what Jesus was talking about in this analogy, because being a shepherd in Israel at this time that Jesus was speaking was a common vocation. It was very common to have shepherds among the fields, to have shepherds guarding flocks. It was a very common thing. So Jesus is using this powerful illustration. It should have been understood, but back up to verse 6. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. They didn't understand it. A clear, poignant illustration given by Jesus was not understood by the religious leaders. Why? Were they so blind to the truth that they couldn't see through the darkness of their hearts? Were they so against Jesus that even though he spoke the truth, they refused to believe it? Were they so prejudiced towards this man from Galilee, from Nazareth, that whenever he spoke, they completely shut him off? I don't know. The scripture says their eyes were blinded by the God of this world. We talked about that. We're going to talk about Satan a little bit more today. Their eyes were blinded. They couldn't see. They couldn't see with spiritual eyes. They couldn't understand what Jesus was talking to them. He gave them a clear, concise illustration, one that they should have gleaned, one that they should have grasped immediately, but they didn't. So he says, okay, let's apply it. Let's take this application and apply it, which is what we like to do with the Word of God, right? We like to read the Word of God, we like to chew on it, and then we like to apply it to our lives, which is what we're supposed to do. 
We're supposed to read the Word of God. We're supposed to interpret it, understand it, and then apply it to our lives. Because without application, they're just words on a page. We need to apply them to our lives. So Jesus makes the application in verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, again, if you're reading the original King James, it's verily, verily, or truly, truly. Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus doesn't mix words. He puts it right at them. This is blunt. I'm the door. I am the door. He declares it. No one comes in. No one goes out except through me. This is what he is saying. Now, we spoke last week about Jesus being the door, not a door. Jesus is not one of many doors. He is the only door. And if you look at the illustration, once again, to sheepfolds, remember the sheepfold was a pen that the sheep were enclosed in during the night. There was an opening, and the shepherd slept right at the door. The shepherd became the door. Thus the illustration that Jesus is trying to explain to them. I'm the door. No sheep come in and no sheep go out. No thieves come in or robbers go out except through me. I am the door. He became the door. And this is the real image. And it's extremely important now that we understand this. It's extremely important that we understand what Jesus is saying. He is the door. And if you take that to the context out of what we're talking about here, the context that there is no other door, although there are many doors out there. It's like Satan is offering us, would you like to have door number one, door number two, or door number three? And Jay always brings a box down from the audience. Would you rather have that? There's a lot of doors to choose from out there in our society today, a lot of worlds, because, you know, all roads lead to heaven is the common theme. No, no. I'm here to tell you that there is one door. The door, Jesus Christ. There is no other door. And if you're going through another door, I hate to tell you this, but you're going through the wrong door. You're going through the wrong door. It's important that we glean from this. Because by going through the door, Jesus is offering eternal life. Jesus is offering eternal life where the other doors do not offer eternal life. Well, they may tell you it's eternal life, but there's always a catch. There's always, well, the cross is nice and it's good, but you need something else other than the cross. That's nonsense. Why did Jesus say it was finished on the cross if it wasn't finished? If there was still something else we needed, he would have said that. But he does say in 14.6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's the door. As the door now, Jesus delivers sinners from the bondage that leads them into freedom. He leads them into freedom like a good shepherd leading his sheep. And we use the word saved. We talked at length about the word saved. What does it mean? It means being saved from the wrath of God. Being saved from the punishment because of our sins, that punishment is death, eternal damnation, separation from God forever. Jesus says, I've come to save them. I've come to bring them into a relationship with my Father through my death. My blood covered their sins. My death washed away their sins. And they come through me and get to the Father. Jesus came for that. His sacrifice on the cross were saved. See, I think it was quite 
quite clear to me when I was studying this that being saved is not a state of mind. Being saved is a factual truth. It's a reality. Being saved is a state of being. And I'm saved by Jesus Christ. By the name Jesus Christ, there's no other name like that. And it's made clear in two places in the book of Acts by the Apostle Peter. In Acts 2, verse 21, Peter, quoting the prophet Joel, he says in Acts 2, 21, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uses that word save, same word. And then in Acts 4, verse 12, Peter, now speaking to the Sanhedrin, speaking to the Sanhedrin, he says, speaking of Jesus, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name, Jesus, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door. These religious leaders must have been dumbfounded at this because Jesus continues. They must have had a stupid look on their face like, duh. They didn't understand what he was talking about. So Jesus now comes directly at them. He's trying to get their attention to believe upon him. But he comes right at them with these words in verse 8. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. He's coming directly at the religious leaders. Now, don't make the mistake of he think that he's talking about the prophets, although they didn't hear them either. But he's not talking about the prophets per se, because he's used the word are. That's a present tense. He said, all those who come before me are. And he's looking right at the religious leaders. They knew what he was talking about. He was calling them thieves and robbers. He was calling them trying to get in and steal the sheep another way. He was speaking to them. He was arguing with them, the religious leaders of that day. He was trying to tell them, you guys aren't not, you're not true shepherds. You don't have God's call upon your life. He didn't approve your ministry. Why? They didn't love the sheep. They wanted to exploit the sheep. That was their job to exploit the sheep and make themselves look good. They abused them. Look what they did to the poor blind man in chapter 9. Here is a man who was born blind. We have no idea how long he had been sitting at this gate, sitting at this temple steps, begging. We have no idea how long. Scripture doesn't say. All we know is he's born blind. Jesus comes along and through a, a great series of events, heals the man of his blindness. Now, are these godly men going, thank you, Lord, praise you, Jesus, thank you, Lord, for a great healing? No. They want to kill him. So right away you can say, wait a minute, what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with these people? Jesus did a miracle right in front of them, and they can't even see it. They threw him out of the synagogue. You don't have to read the scriptures very long or the gospels very long to find out that the religious leaders were interested in one thing and one thing only. Providing for themselves and protecting their own interests. They're all about them. They're all about themselves. These men were covetous. 
They took advantage of everyone, especially widows. Read the scriptures. They turned the temple of God into a den of thieves. Read the scriptures. And they plotted to kill Jesus. Way back in chapter 5, they plotted to kill Jesus. They began the plot. Read the scriptures. The only ones these religious men looked out for was themselves. And if you've read anything in the scriptures about Jesus, this is totally against Jesus' teaching. Totally against what Jesus taught. In fact, if you even go further, the Apostle Paul brought it to more light as he's writing to the Philippian church in chapter 2 of Philippians, beginning in verse 3 and 4, he says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you not only look out for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Paul makes it quite clear. This is how the Christians are lived. So the true shepherd, the true shepherd Jesus Christ came to save the sheep. But the false shepherds only wanted to take advantage of them. They only wanted to exploit them. Jesus said to the sheep, who are the sheep? The sheep are the true children of God. You're sitting here, and I'm blessed that you're here. But if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you haven't been born again into a living hope, I'm sorry, but you are not one of God's sheep. In fact, we read a while ago, Jesus would tell you, your father is the devil. Sorry, I didn't say that. Jesus did. But the true children of God don't hear the voices of the thieves and robbers. They don't hear these voices. They don't listen to the voices of the robbers. And we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks where the true sheep of God hear God's voice. And they're drawn to him and they follow him. So Jesus is at the point where I'm not sure if he's frustrated or not, but he has to repeat himself. Look at verse 9. I am the door. He says it again. I am the door. I am the door. And he clarifies it. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. And now he's using another illustration. He's using an Old Testament illustration, an expression that denotes freedom. Giving them freedom. Jesus is describing the abundant life going in and out and finding good pastures. In other words, in Jesus Christ, your life is settled. Your life has satisfaction. Your life will have meaning. It will have purpose. And your life will be fulfilled. And that's what he's saying, because that's what a shepherd does for his sheep. That's what a shepherd does for his sheep. Under the shepherd's care, the sheep live lives of abundance. They never have to worry about the cares of the world. The shepherd's going to take care of them. The shepherd's always going to lead them to places where they can eat and eat to their full. He's always going to lead them to a place where they can drink and drink to their full. If a ravenous animal comes towards them, the shepherd has his staff, and he pokes them with the staff and gets them with the staff and gets them away from them. If the sheep get out of line, he has the top of the staff for the crook, and he can pull the sheep back in line. The shepherd cares for the sheep. And we're going to read later on that the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. If a ravenous wolf is coming, the shepherd will stand in front of the ravenous wolf and give his life for the sheep. Under the shepherd's care, the sheep have everything they need. Everything they need, which Peter's talked about. Our man Peter in 2 Peter 1.3 said, 
Everything for life and godliness. Through Christ Jesus, we have everything for life and godliness. The good shepherd, Jesus, provides us with those things. He provides us with those things. So Jesus is going to continue, and he really, it's almost like he's not placing the blame on the shepherds. He is, but he's not. He says there's something behind the shepherds. There is something behind the shepherds that's even worse than the shepherds themselves. Look at 10a. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. The thief. Notice he says the thief. He's obviously talking about Satan. Satan wants to steal the sheep away from the good shepherd. He wants to slaughter them, destroy them. He has come to seek, to kill, and destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's coming. Pull you out of God's arms, so he thinks. And he uses fancy lures. Some of you are fishermen, and you're out there on the lake or whatever. Do you ever do a fly fishing? That's fun. I did some fly fishing once, and you never know what the fly are going to, is going to bite. So you have a whole bunch of flies right here in your pocket, these little things that are tied, and you change them, different colors, different stuff, and you never know, and all of a sudden you get one. Well, that's what Satan does. He throws these lures out to you, trying to get you to chase it, and trying to get you to follow it. He knows your weakness. He knows what you like, just like we're trying to know what the fish like when we're fishing. He knows what you like, so he throws these things out for you, and then he plays these little scheming tricks on you. Well, it just He hasn't changed since the garden. Questioning God's word. Has God really said? Has God really said you're going to die? He wants to rob you of your purity. He wants to rob you of your standards. He wants to rob you of your strength and steal it from you. He wants to destroy your power to resist. He likes to rob us of our blessings of serving God and loving God. See, why does he like to do that? Because true life comes from knowing God. True life comes from knowing God. We've all come from knowing Satan. We've all seen his tricks. And we've all fallen for his tricks at one time or the other. But there's no life in it. There's no life in it. There's only death. True life comes from knowing God. Satan seeks to destroy your defenses. He wants to draw you away from the word. He wants to draw you away from fellowship, draw you away from prayer. He places other things that are before your eyes, even good things. He places good things before your eyes, and when you make them a priority before God, he's got you right where he wants you. He's got you right where you want Because these things draw us away from what we need most. Have a bad day at work? I'm not going to fellowship. Fall right into his hands. You fall right into his hands. He wants to steal your freedom and he wants to place you back under bondage. Look at our world today. Just look at what it looks like. We're morally depraved. We live in a world of oppression. The rich oppress the poor, the strong oppress the weak. Various races oppress each other because of racial differences. The majority of the world is not only without God, they're without hope. They have no regard for human life. And this is exactly what Satan wants. Satan wants this because Satan's way is the way of death. Satan cannot give life. He cannot give life. He only gives death. He cannot give life. You are a sure.
The book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start. So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.